Hello, hello, welcome to the Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas. How is he? Oh, you know, same old we Do you reckon Tom Cruise will ever hand over the reins of his version of James Bond? Ethan Hunt, certainly not this time. He's back in Mission Impossible 6, Fallout. Listen, before you go on, um, I'd like my wife to get on the extension. Would that be all right? Hello, I'm on. How much can a dutiful wife ignore just to fan the flames of her husband's career? That's the question asked by the new Glenn Close film, The Wife. That's this week on The Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas. Hello, my name is Kyron Wheatley and we're here to sift through new releases before they've been released. With a PhD in film, we're joined by Vary McIntyre. Hello. What have you fallen out of? I've actually fallen out of a saddle that was on a horse. Really? And fractured my elbow. Wow, I've never broken any bones, Payne. Yeah, it was. I was in a bit of shock and, yeah. What were you doing on the horse in the first place? I'm trying to make it go over a jump and, uh, yeah, it didn't want to. There's your mistake. Yeah. And Michael Campbell is here from Village Cinemas. Hey, uh, so mine's actually kind of related to yours. I fell, I've got a scar just above my eyebrow here. I fell off a horse float. I was okay. sitting on top of a horse float. What, what do you mean a float? So it's a big, like, a big carriage that you carry horses in behind your car. Oh, it's right. a horse float. And I fell off that and scarred my eyebrow. Were you riding a horse on the float? No, no I didn't <laughs> even get the cool bit. What are you riding a float for? I was just sitting on a float and then I fell off. <laughs> Where are you sitting on a horse float? Okay, I, I should preface my dad owns a few horses. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's important information. Uh, think about it yourself and keep listening. We've got your chance to win a Village Cinema's Gold Class Double Pass a little later on. If you cast your mind back to 1996, you might remember starting to hear about this internet thing. Perhaps you recall getting yourself one of the first flip phones. But you will never forget Tom Cruise falling on a wire, only stopping millimetres from the floor. Pop culture won't let you forget that with a spoof in almost every cartoon ever made. And over 20 years on, Tom Cruise still hasn't given up the role of Ethan Hunt. And with Fallout, we see his sixth turn as the CIA agent. We all saw it last night at the premiere. Pretty thrilling, Cambo? It was extremely thrilling. The fact that they have managed to keep this going for 20 years and escalated and escalated and escalated, I don't know what they're going to do next to kind of top this. But for those playing at home, the story of Mission Impossible Fallout, a mission has gone wrong at the beginning and Ethan Hunt has let plutonium go into the hands of terrorists and he and his team need to go and try and find it again. But this time they're joined by Henry Cavill's Walker, who is a man of kind of shady morals that has to join them on their mission. And in fact, Paramount have been very secret about the plot of this. And I think the less you know might be the better with this. Let me ask you a question. Okay, I'm ready. Do you guys like popcorn? Because there is a lot of corn in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) I have not seen any Mission Impossibles. Really? Before. So, yeah, I was quite skeptical about going into this one because I was like, do I need to have seen the first five? No. I didn't. I knew exactly <laughs> what was going on. Though of the of the now six, I think this is like the most direct sequel they've ever done, as in that it just has like the villain is from the last movie. Yeah. Again, you don't need to have seen it to appreciate it, but I was actually surprised. They're normally just completely different movies every time. Mm. Yeah. So even though I haven't seen any, and it is a follow-up, as you say, I followed along quite easily. There's enough exposition in there that explains what's going on because it's just a classic action movie. He's a spy. Pretty, He's a spy. Yeah, that's all you spy. need to know. But I, yeah, I was quite surprised with this corn and all this cliche in it that it wasn't taking itself so seriously as 
I expected like the, the first yeah, original so sort of movies. It's to definitely be. full of corn. Were you disappointed by that or were you like, oh, this is a lot of fun? I felt left out of the loop maybe because in the cinema everyone was laughing and I was thinking, oh, well, this scene is impractical. Like that is just so ridiculous and they're just up the stakes again and again and again and everyone was laughing at it and I'm just like, oh, oh, we're supposed to be laughing because – Obviously, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, I would say from about the fourth one where they blow up the Kremlin. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the fourth from, movie, you from mean? The, yeah, from the fourth movie. From about then on, people are like, okay, this is kind of like a, a whole other universe yeah. where, the, where That's physics ghost, doesn't matter. And ghost Protocol. Ghost that Protocol, one, I think. yeah. And I think the other thing in that one, which if you haven't seen it, Vari, they have like machines where they just stick it on a hotel door number mm. and it changes the number in two seconds and yeah. then they take it off and it's like, oh, that's room 720 now. <laughs> it's like, so they yeah, just have, I right. think different to James Bond, there's no constraints on the physics of this universe. You can do anything you want. You can shove on a mask and look like somebody else. Yeah. So is it like get smart? It's like all this technology yeah. is just sort yeah. of like a, a little bit really like weird. A, yeah. There's just whatever the situation is, there's a gadget that can do exactly that. Exactly for some reason. That's the that's kind of half the fun of Mission Impossible. All right, I feel that, like I'm catching up now. Yeah. And and Impossible Masks is okay. the other hallmark of a Mission Impossible movie. Yeah. Impeccable, perfect masks. Yeah, the characters do make fun of it at least twice. Yeah, yeah. that it's a Halloween trick. But I think that that is I like this is definitely the most self aware Mission Impossible where they're like, mm. yeah, we know it's silly, but look at this like spectacular action sequence. Yeah. And of all the things in the movie, the action sequences in this are just. They're phenomenal. Like they're, I've not seen anything like this in maybe. It was 10 audible years. in the audience, wasn't it? A lot of oh yeah. yeah, and it's it's funny because they did so much of this for real, and I guess you're so well, used to CGI. No one's dead. Well, yeah, but <laughs> but like uh, you know, Tom Cruise hung off a helicopter, and, mm-hmm. and and they they flipped cars in Paris, and and it's funny watching so much CGI that when it is real, you're like, oh geez, yeah, like you can. It's it's so tangible. Totally. It's like watching Christopher Nolan. Like that's actually what it reminded me of yeah. the Dark Knight. You know, they 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 flip that truck, and you can you can tell you it's can a tell real it's truck. real. Yeah, mm. yeah. I think with a lot of films we've seen previously, I'd say don't look up information before you go see it. The less you know, the more excited you'll be seeing it. But I feel like with this one, I f- like the opposite is true. Where I think the more you know about it, the more you'll appreciate it. Because I was looking up all this information about the action sequences and how. They did a lot of this for real and like Tom Cruise breaks his ankle yeah. in one scene where he's jumping from one roof to another yeah. and he just like slams into the side of the building and like judders and stuff. And you can really yeah. see that he's like, yeah. this is real. Like he really fell into that building <laughs> yeah. and there's one of this, these scenes where they're fighting on top of a mountain. <laughs> Yeah, well, and they had to do so much training, and apparently Simon Not Pegg enough, got apparently. an eight-pack from his training. I did read that. Yeah, they called him eight-pack Peggy. <laughs> yeah. Even though he didn't need to, he just wanted to keep up with, you know, all the guys. Even, uh, you're right. There's this great YouTube video, and I suggest everyone look it up. It's about the, at the start of the movie, they do what's called a halo jump, high altitude, low open parachute, and they did it for real. There's a shot where Tom Cruise jumps out of the plane and comes, you know, about three, four inches from the camera. And that is a real practical shot. And they show you the behind the scenes of a, a skydiver with a camera strapped to his head. Mm. And apparently over a hundred jumps were, were used to film this sequence in total. Because wow. because it's at dusk, they only got one shot a day. So they what? had to keep going back up and refilming it and refilming. Obviously, you, the wonder, hundred... you wonder how films cost hundreds of millions of dollars? <laughs> this is That's it. how. That's how. But knowing that, when you're watching that sequence, you're like, this is all the crazier that they did this. Yeah. 
I think one of my favorite scenes was early on the first fisticuffs that you see. Mm-hmm. There's a gun shootout before then, but the first actual punch on that you see in this bathroom between Henry Cavill, Tom Cruise, and another man who they're trying to assume the identity of have this giant yeah fight in this bathroom. And it's so well put together. The actions that they use are so finessed and it's just mind-boggling. It's and, brilliant choreography as well. And there's no talking or anything throughout this entire scene. It's just the fighting. And what I think is really, really the strength of this movie and Christopher McQuarrie, the director, is really good at is in an action scene or in a fight scene, what is sometimes undervalued is like the geography of where everyone is. Mm. So where this person is and that character is or where this car is and that car is, quite easily. you can. But in all the action sequences, and I think the standout for me action sequences in the first third of the movie, there's a car chase through the streets of Paris. And it is so perfectly filmed and edited that you are always exactly sure where everybody is yep. in relation to one another. That's all Campbell wants. He just, <laughs> he just wants to know where everyone is. But realism. But, <laughs> honestly, it's it's in such a huge sequence. The fact that it was so concise and so clear and yeah. so crazy is, yeah. I think, something that is undervalued. The the highs of this are the action sequences and the cinematography is beautiful. The locations are spectacular. The locations. Yep. They go to Paris. Yep. They go London. to London. So you've got some really iconic cities there, yeah. of course. And yep. even but, the, the helicopter sequence, even though it wasn't set there, was all filmed in the mountains of New Zealand. Right. And, and, and Norway. But it was set in Kashmir, which is, mm. you know, in the... Uh, north of India, right? Yep. And it's just stunning. Yeah. Like, it's absolutely stunning. The big helicopter shots that come over the car as they're driving down and on their way to the final. And, and, f- and, for, all, and for all of beautiful. these, the only thing that is maybe just serviceable is the, the story. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the classic uh, spy needs to stop nuclear bomb storyline, yeah. really. Yeah. yeah. Did you feel like you sort of saw a few things coming, perhaps? Yeah, yeah. There, there, there wasn't any twist that you were like, oh my God, what? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. There were a couple of twists that I didn't expect. Like I think Ethan Hunt, um, Tom Cruise's character, did a couple of things that I didn't see coming. Yeah, right. There was a lot of double, triple crossing and things like that. And I find it very <laughs> complicated when they're like talking all these technical terms and they're planning what they're going to do. And then someone does something else and someone triple crosses that and then someone double crosses that. And I'm like, okay, what? what? Where, where are we? I don't <laughs> yeah. know if the writers knew where they were either. <laughs> but I think that's how you write this movie, right? You write yourself into a corner and then try and find a way out. Yeah. yeah. And, and don't make it the obvious thing. And I know that as they were filming, they were still writing. There was this podcast with Christopher McQuarrie. That could answer some of the questions. Yeah, with, there was a podcast with Christopher McQuarrie where he was saying that they have like... He's meant to be making a movie. <laughs> like 80% of the... Well, they, they had to shut down production for a couple of weeks when Tom Cruise broke his ankle. Right. So I guess podcast galore, why yeah. not? <laughs> and he was saying, yeah, we're, now we're just figuring out the ending now. Right. Which is, it's such a crazy way to make a movie. Yes, but I mean, is. they pulled it off. Well, yeah, I've heard that they only finished wrapping it up or um, putting it together a month before it premiered. And Tom Cruise himself only saw it like 20 days ago. Yeah, and the only other film I can think of in recent memory that was this chaotic to to make was Mad Max Fury Road. All the delays and ad-libs they had to, to do like halfway through that production kind of reminds me of this where it seems like such a scramble, but mm. somehow they kind of pulled off this coherent, great action movie. Just as big action-wise too. Mm. I think the, the other thing that I really liked about it is the strong female leads. There's two uh, women who play agents. It's never questioned that they're agents. Mm-hmm. Well, one is like an agent yeah. and one is like a – she's almost like a femme fatale 
film noir character. Yeah, there are a few females in it. They're all very separate. They don't meet each other or talk to each other, so it doesn't even pass the Bechdel test. But, uh, yes, yeah, well, there. yes, they well, do. It, it, At the end, in fact. Yeah, no, it, it doesn't. You're right. It doesn't pass no. the Bechdel test. <laughs> Michelle Monaghan yeah, and Rebecca Ferguson meet, but they only whisper to one another unheard dialogue. I think what's interesting about it is that, like, a, a lot of the time in these films, everyone's in love with the, the Tom Cruise character, right? Yeah. yeah. Whereas it seems in this one... It's flipped. They're not necessarily in love with him. He's the one in love with them. And then how that resolves itself, I think, is different and new and a little bit more empowering than these films tend to be in the past. Yeah, he, he yeah. is not the solution to all of their problems, which is kind of a trope of these, especially spy movies, yeah. where a female character, especially in like the James Bond series, is kind of eye candy that James Bond comes in and, and solves all their problems. Yeah. Where the, those characters, are, they're characters. I mean, they're exactly that. They've... They've got dimension to them. Yeah. They, they remain independent as well. Exactly. They don't yeah. ride off in the sunset together. And then through the whole film, they remain independent too. Like they have independent yeah. goals, independent minds, and they're mm. not just following his lead. And they're badass. They're like, yeah. Did you just hear me try and say badass? <laughs> but then my <laughs> but then, was like, no, you're not allowed to do that. You can't last, do that. At the last minute, can't your Australian accent just yeah, kicked yeah, in. Yeah. Don't be stupid. <laughs> yeah, but they are. They're badass. They're bonza. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so who should see this film? Maybe people who didn't think they would like a Mission Impossible, like myself, but actually you might be surprised. I could kind of switch off that it was Tom Cruise, who I don't, not necessarily the biggest fan of, um, but actually enjoyed the movie for the movie. I surprisingly like, for something similar, mm. I'm not a massive fan of Tom Cruise, yeah. I actually liked him in this. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm, I say, I said this, I think, to you personally the other day, and every time I see a, a trailer for a Mission Impossible movie, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I, sure. And then I see it, and every single time I'm wrong I'm like oh that was great why am I never excited for these <laughs> so yeah take a chance go see it it's got some crazy sequences one last question do you think you'll ever pass the character on well so there was this speculation back when Ghost Protocol came out because Tom Cruise had had one or two movies that weren't necessarily huge hits movies like Day and Night and things like this where they're like maybe he isn't as bankable anymore and the theory was that Jeremy Renner was stuck into that franchise to be like insurance in case Tom Cruise can't carry a franchise anymore, he could then become the new Ethan Hunt. And now he's not even in the new movie. Yeah. Tom Cruise is like, no, yeah. it's me. <laughs> but like, I wonder, because what is he, 56? 56. So, yeah. so surely at some point, a la Bond, it's time to hand it over? Yeah, like you can't yeah. be doing this at 60, surely. For the franchise, yeah. I think Tom Cruise himself has said that he's happy to continue it, probably until he's old and grey. Do you think that these crazy stunts are his way to be like, no, I'm young? Yeah. Look at me, I can break my ankle, it's fine. (laughs) I would like to convey to you the warm congratulations of the Swedish Academy. You have reinvented the very nature of storytelling. Tell me about yourself. Do you have an occupation? I do. And what is that? I am a kingmaker. Seems like we could have had this story sooner. How far do you go to support your partner? For centuries, the dutiful wife has swallowed their own ambitions, their own dreams, staying home, holding the fort while their husbands sail the heights of career. Add to that affairs on the one hand and awards for the man on the other, and you might find the breaking point. How does Glenn Close go in the role of the wife? Yeah, Glenn Close is brilliant. She gives a very powerful performance. So the story follows Joan Castleman, who is married to Joe Castleman, and he is about to receive the Nobel Prize for Literature in Stockholm. And Joan is the loving, dutiful wife, I guess you could say, yeah, I'd say dutiful. behind Joe, and they travel to Stockholm 
in Sweden to receive the prize. And it follows their relationship as there's some undercurrents of this mystery that um, looks at the credibility of Joe's worthiness of receiving this prize. And at first, Joan is just the quiet, dutiful wife in the background. And then as the story progresses, something becomes clear that something's not right and she just reaches her breaking point. And I think I will make... Cambo's first big prediction in 2018. Oh, <laughs> I know. Get steady yourself. Strap in. Ooh. I think that she will be nominated for an Academy Award for this movie. Hopefully. It's it's just one of those performances. It's really kind of like raw. You can really just Yeah. I mean, I don't even I, I'm lost for words. Yeah. It's just so good and but so naturalistic. Like it never seems like she's trying to act quote unquote, you know, she's never tears streaming down her face, looking at the camera being like, look at this. It's just this really beautiful, nuanced performance. And I think that she will be nominated and I hope she wins only because if she does, she will be someone that's achieved an EGOT, which is an Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony. And only a couple of people have ever done this, mainly they're musicians. But she is only an Oscar away from an EGOT. She's been nominated something like 11 times. I heard that they had pushed this movie's release back so she does have a better chance of winning an Oscar. So (laughs) they are quite geared toward that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Of all the performances we've seen this year, even like Tony Collette and Hereditary was really good. I think this is probably the best. Why is it so good? What what makes it so good, Vori? It's very restrained and everything is in her face there's a lot of camera framing, uh, like tight close-ups on her face and you can see this restraint that she's got and it just sort of comes to this boiling point, I guess. So their husband and wife go to Stockholm to receive the Nobel Prize, their son comes along and it all looks like this idyllic family to begin with. They're with their friends celebrating mm-hmm. and then there's just this undercurrent you can sort of sense that that something's up with her character. She's not as excited as Joe is and she pulls herself away from social situations and she kind of pushes Joe and says no this is your time your spotlight you go and enjoy this and I'll just stand back here and he takes that in stride and just runs with it and is like comes out of his shell and is like yeah this is mine I'm going to appreciate this and I'm in the spotlight and then she starts to resent that and when they get to Stockholm and they're practicing for the ceremony and all these things happen and they get tours of of the city and there's this female photographer that gets assigned to take photos of Joe and she's always around them and you can feel Joan getting very claustrophobic and it's very palpable and you start feeling claustrophobic as well and you're like something's happening and so there's a reporter as well played by Christian Slater who bugs the family and has done for years, apparently trying to get the truth of the story behind who wrote these books and and the family relations and things. So there's a lot of outside forces that are just like chipping away at her ice cold facade, I guess, until, yeah, it just boils over. So rich white family goes to win an award. Is this, is this dull at all? Is it, is it, you know, is it gripping? So the, the, yes, it is. But the only part that I thought was, a little one note. They have a son played by Max Irons and he is kind of a one note brooding son character. That's the only unfortunate one when all the other characters like Joan and Joe are very well well rounded. Yeah. Yeah. And even Christian Slater's character is, he is the sleuthy reporter, but there's something to him. There's a kind of a charm to him that is a little different than what you've normally seen. Whereas Max Irons comes off a little bit 
whiny in yeah, it. Yeah, I think the son is used more as a, a plot device, I guess, to make the married couple fight more. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. He's, and and he did yeah. feel like that, which is maybe not what he should have felt like. Mm. But to to take it back to to what Glenn Close did so well that maybe Max Hines didn't. And it's like the first thing you learn in acting school is acting is reacting. And it's not so much that Glenn Close gets these big monologues or anything like that, but situations will be going on and there's just little cues in her face, just little tiny nuances that you think wait a minute, something's wrong here. Even in the very opening scene where he's told he's going to win the Nobel Prize, yeah, you just see this little reaction on her face and that's all you need to twig that something's not right. Yeah, And that is not an easy thing to do as an actor. I guess what I'm asking is that we're just watching an Oscar performance. Like, where's, I, I don't see where the, where's the drama of this film. Like, where's the... So, without... Yeah, if we explain it too much, I think we're going to re- yeah. reveal too many spoilers. You so may have even noticed we're dancing around yeah. plot points. <laughs> there is a mystery undercurrent about the stories and the credibility about who actually writes them and if Joe Castleman is indeed worthy of getting this Nobel Prize. And there's some kind of context flashbacks throughout the movie as well uh, where you see the younger version of these characters and the younger version of Glenn Close. I remember thinking, that is a really Spot on young Glenn Close. It later turns out that's her daughter. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> so it makes is. sense, yeah. And you get these context flashbacks. So it's like 70% present day, maybe 30% flashback in this movie. Yeah. Uh, that you start to get a little more information here and there about how they first met and when they were first married and the writing of this book that gets him this award. And it slowly kind of unfolds into a complete picture. So at first you're like, why is she so uneasy about this? And then as you find out, you start to realize okay, there's something going on mm. behind all of this. And it's been going on for a long time. Yeah, I was very frustrated with the characters, actually. Obviously, I loved the story and the, the characters were great. But I was just so frustrated. And I guess it's them teasing that there's something happening that you don't know about until it comes out right at the end. So you do have to have some patience because it is quite a slow build up. But then it's a very rewarding payoff when you understand what's happening. But, yeah, I was just so frustrated with him. At the end, I was like, oh, my God, you're all awful. (laughs) (laughs) My wife doesn't write, thank God. Otherwise, I'd suffer permanent writer's lock. Don't ever think that you can get their approval. Who's? The men. So there's this, um, I guess, feminist discourse around the role of women in the 50s, which is young Joan growing up then, and she wanted to be a writer, so she was taking classes actually from Joe Castleman, who was her lecturer, when they met. And he was already married and had a child, so there was a bit of conflict there and she kind of stole him away and she wanted to be a writer and then she meets this other female writer who's like, you you don't go into this business. No one's going to read a female writer. And there's a great quote, I think, that sums up the whole women in literature point from that character where she says, a writer doesn't need to write, a writer needs to be read. Yeah. And she's saying, you know, women aren't read. Mm. So who should see this film? I think if you're a fan of, you know, uh, a higher class drama, then this is is kind of the tip top of that. Yeah, it's, I think, suited towards a more mature audience, especially with the actors Glenn Close and Jonathan Price, who plays Joe Castleman. But it's got very universal themes and very powerful performances. So if you're in for a, a very deep, powerful relationship drama, this is a good one. Yeah, and there's a sentence that you might say that you people probably haven't said since the 90s, which is Christian Slater is great. (laughs) (laughs) 
Also out this week, if you're a fan of New Zealand comedy, you're going to love this, The Breaker Uppers. Yes, what a funny film that is. And for those who saw Amy and loved it, you're probably going to like this, Whitney. A heartbreaking documentary. All about Whitney Houston. And to hear more about those, go back to the last week's episode. You can click through on the show notes below. Now, each week we give away a Village Cinema's Gold Class Double Pass. And for your chance to win this week, we want your answer to the question, what have you fallen out of? <laughs> the best thing about that question is every answer is great. Exactly. No matter what. Exactly. To win, send your answer and contact details to win at thecinemacrew.com.au. Points if you can beat Tom Cruise. <laughs> Next week, Mila Kunis and Kate McKinnon, two of the world's biggest stars who happen to be women, team with a writer-director who happens to be a woman. And it's a shame that this is remarkable, maybe it is, in The Spy Who Dumped Me. Some super nerd movie fans may have seen the original from 1972. Not mentioning any names myself. But you don't have to, because this classic exploitation movie has been updated for the present day. We'll be talking about Superfly. And a director famous for his work on the stage in London's West End is making the shift over to films. And he's asked Saoirse Ronan to star in his first. She said yes, and I can't wait. Until then, thanks, Cambo. Thank you. Thank you, Vari. Thanks. I'm Kyron Wheatley, and this is The Cinema Crew with Village Cinemas.